Well, there are a lot of great things about celebrating Christmas, the family, traditions, movies, Christmas carols, Christmas cookies, the gifts. But for me personally, the best thing about celebrating Christmas is, is dinner on Christmas night. Right? There is nothing like it. Table is set with all the best. You have the smells of delicious food. Right? And best of all, you have the family and friends. Right? It's, it's as everybody starts arriving that it really begins to feel like a party. You have kids bursting through the door, dropping their coats, rushing off to find their friends, adults lagging behind with arms full of food and gifts, everyone's hugging, smiles, Merry Christmas. There's nothing quite like a dinner party on Christmas night. On our passage for this morning from Matthew's Gospel, we're going to read about a time that Jesus attended a dinner party with some friends, and it created quite a controversy. And I think if we look at what Jesus says in this passage, it's going to help us to understand the good news of Christmas. So, kids, if you're maybe not used to listening to sermons, here's what I want you to do. Pay, pay attention as I read uh, from Matthew's Gospel and see if by the time we're done, you can tell your parents later why Jesus is like a doctor, okay? Why Jesus is like a doctor. That's your question that you have to answer. So when we're done, I hope you can explain to your parents why Jesus is the best doctor ever. Okay, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read together verses 9 to 13. So please listen as I read. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. So that's a fancy word for doctor, right? Okay, kids, listen. When he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so for a bit of context, Jesus at this point in time is something of a celebrity. He's been going around teaching, creating quite a stir, healing people. And so when Jesus rolls into town, one of the big questions is, who's he going to have dinner with? Who is Jesus going to honor with his presence? Who's important enough that Jesus is going to want to spend time with them? And so maybe you understand the shock of what we read there in verse 10. It says, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So wait, what? Jesus and his disciples come to town and they're hanging out, having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Not just that, but Matthew tells us many tax collectors and sinners. And not just that, but they were reclining with Jesus, right? He wasn't repulsed by them. He didn't merely tolerate them, but he, he settled into a comfortable posture with them. He put his feet up and was hanging out with them. 
So it's no surprise what we read there in verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the Pharisees were the religious experts. They were the ones who made all the rules about who was in and who was out when it came to religious matters. And so you think if a prominent teacher like Jesus came to town, he would hang out with them, with the Pharisees. They were strict. They were disciplined. They did everything the right way. And one of the ways they showed how good they were was by staying far away from sinful people, people who didn't keep all the rules. Right, that word there, when it says sinners, you might want to think of it like sinners with a capital S, right? This is not just like your normal run-of-the-mill sinner. This is somebody who is doing scandalous things. And if you stop and think about it, the Pharisees' question actually makes a lot of sense. Tax collectors like Matthew we read about here in this passage, they were the worst. They were the lowest of the low. They were like traitors and thieves and terrorists all wrapped into one. And so Jesus comes and everyone's beginning to wonder if maybe he's the one sent by God. He's the one God's been promising that he would send to his people to deliver Israel from all the bad people, right? He He's going to come, everyone thought, the Messiah, God's promised deliverer. He's going to come, and he's going to save us from these tax collectors and sinners. And so when Jesus comes to town, everyone knows what to expect, right? He's going to set things straight. He's He's going to see Matthew, this tax collector, this traitor, this sinner, and he's going to call him out. He's going to condemn him. He, maybe, maybe he'll even preach a sermon about these terrible people who are ruining society. But at the very least, he's going to shun Matthew. He's going to ignore him. Right? He's going to let Matthew know what you're doing is not okay. But the most extraordinary thing happens. Jesus walks along. He doesn't hiss at Matthew. He doesn't taunt this tax collector, but he calls him. He says, follow me. I want you to be one of my people. We see there at the end of verse 9, Matthew dropped everything and followed after Jesus. The next thing we know, there in verse 10, Jesus is reclining at dinner with many tax collectors and sinners. Luke's account of this event tells us what Matthew is probably too humble to mention here. And that's this party actually took place at Matthew's house. So you understand the Pharisees' frustration. Why is Jesus having dinner with these people? Is he saying he approves of their lifestyle? Doesn't he know they're the bad guys? Those are the people who are are everything wrong with the world. Is, Is he saying that the way they're living is okay? Honestly, it's a little bit scandalous. But look how Jesus answers there in verses 12 to 13. It says, when he heard it, he said, those who are well, so those who are healthy, have no need of a physician, no need for a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus answers with a a strong and memorable picture. He compares himself to a doctor. Ready, kids? No one wonders why a doctor spends all his time hanging out with sick people. Right? Those are the people who need the help. Those are the ones who know they need help. And so in the same way that a doctor goes to people who are physically sick to heal them, Jesus is saying here that, that he came like a doctor 
to cure our sick souls, to call those who are desperately sick. He says, look, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And that's why I've come for them, for tax collectors and sinners. Kids, wouldn't it be terrible? Imagine for a second that you were super sick. Like you just felt so bad all the time. And, and let's say there was a doctor. Your parents found a doctor who could cure you and make you feel all better. Wouldn't it be terrible if you went to that doctor who could make you better and he said, look, I only deal with people who are healthy. I don't want anything to do with sick people. So go, get better, and then come back and see me and I'll cure you. Right? That'd be the worst doctor ever. Right? But here Jesus is saying that he's the best doctor. He didn't come for people who don't need him. He came specifically for the people who needed him most. There at the end of verse 13, Jesus is explaining Christmas to us. He's explaining his mission. He's explaining why he came. Here, Jesus, God himself, the entirely divine son who has always existed and who always will exist, and he's come to earth. He's taken on human flesh. And here in verse 13, he tells us why. He says he came to call sinners. He came to call sinners to find forgiveness and salvation in him. Jesus left the Father's side, left all the riches of heaven, and he took on flesh in order to call sinners. Friends, this is what God's salvation looks like. Jesus didn't come and simply make himself available. He didn't leave clues so that the most clever people could figure out who he was and where he was. Now, Jesus says here that he came after sinners. He went where the sinners were. He went and had dinner with the worst of the worst. He went where they were because he knew they would never come to him. Right? Lost sheep don't find the shepherd. The shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep. And so Jesus knows that if he didn't go to them and call them, they would never come. And here's the thing. As Matthew's gospel unfolds, we see that this, this project of coming to call sinners was going to cost Jesus everything. It, it meant that he would be delivered over to the Gentiles who would mock him and treat him shamefully. They would spit on him and flog him. And if that weren't enough, he would be nailed to a cross and left to die like a criminal. Jesus would be treated like he was a terrible sinner, even though he had done no wrong at all. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he took the punishment that his people deserved for their sins. God the Father placed on Jesus all of the wrath that our sin deserved. All of the wrath that Matthew, the tax collector, deserved for all the terrible things that he had done. Jesus on the cross bore the sins of, of the people there in that house party. You see, Jesus is the best doctor ever because he healed us by taking our disease on himself. He bore our guilt so that we could be called to new life, so that we would enjoy freedom from guilt and fear. Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive now so that we can be united to him by faith and, have exper and experience eternal life. Our souls can be healed from the sickness, from the disease of sin. So the Pharisees ask why Jesus would eat with people like this. And his answer is as clear as it is shocking. Because those are the kind of people he came to call. Friends, that's what Christmas is about. God coming into our world to save us. And you know the good people? 
the, the religious people, they thought that when God showed up, he was going to come and be like the judge of a beauty pageant. They thought God was going to come and, and give ribbons and crowns to all the prettiest and best people. But here Jesus flips that expectation upside down. He said, I didn't actually come to appreciate your goodness. I didn't come to applaud all of your religious activity. No, he says, I, I came like a doctor going into a, a sin-plagued world, coming to heal those who have no other hope. Kids, imagine Christmas morning. You wake up, and there are all these presents, the best presents you could ever imagine, the best presents in all the world. They're wrapped up in the prettiest paper with the best ribbons and bows. But imagine all those presents are, are put up on a, on a high shelf, 10, 15 feet off the ground, so high that nobody can reach them. Wouldn't that be terrible to have all of those gifts but not to be able to, to get them? Well, that's kind of what the Pharisees thought God's love was like. They thought that, that God's love should be on the top shelf where only the very best and tallest people could reach it. They thought that they were the ones who were tall enough to, to reach up on that shelf because they were so good at following the rules. But the good news that Jesus is telling us this morning is that actually none of us are, are good enough to, to reach up and grab God's gift. Not even the Pharisees. And so Jesus has come to bring that salvation down to us. So let me point out two things for us to meditate on this Christmas time. First, just see in what Jesus says here that there's salvation and joy available to all of us. Because Jesus came at Christmas not for the healthy, but for sinners. The truth is we are all terminally ill with the disease of sin. Some of us might be moral and successful and happy. Some of us might have made a real mess of our lives and done terrible things. But when we come to God, we all have the same need. We all have the same disease. The symptoms might look better or worse for one person or another, but it's fatal in every case. And so the only way that any of us can be healed spiritually, forgiven, given eternal life, is to be healed by this great physician, this great doctor. So whoever you are, whatever it is that you've done, no matter how sick you feel you are with sin, Jesus is the cure that you need. Second, I think that in this little story, we see a Christmas time warning to the self-righteous. There in verse 13, Jesus tells us why he came. Right? We've seen that he came to call sinners. And that's shocking, right? He came for the people we thought he would reject. But we might be just as shocked by what he tells us about what he didn't come to do. Right there at the end of verse 13, he says he came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says he actually didn't come for the righteous. In context, he's clearly poking at the Pharisees, right? After all, they're the ones questioning him there in verse 11. Right, the Pharisees looked down on Matthew and his friends. They thought they were the ones who were righteous. They were the ones who were good at keeping the rules. But Jesus says something really important there in verse 13. He gives his rationale for his mission. He says that he came to call sinners, and he explains why. He uses the words of the prophet Hosea. He says there in verse 13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Jesus quotes a little part of the book of Hosea there. Uh, And in that part of Hosea, God is rebuking the people of Judah for their lack of love. In Hosea 6.6, the Lord drops this question on them. He he says, what is it that you think I want from you? My people, what what is it you think I want? Uh, Do I want really long prayers? Do I I want attendance at the temple? Uh, Do I want all of your tithes and your sacrifices? Uh, Do I want a bunch of religious activity? God says, no, I want you to love. It turns out God has no interest in creating a a religious program that gives a bunch of self-righteous people things they can do to feel better about themselves. What God wants is for his people to be loving, to care about one another, to look out for one another. It's not that sacrifices weren't important in the Old Testament. They were. But the point was that the people... Uh, would never, should never be able to use strict obedience to God's commands as a cover for a lack of love and mercy. And so what does that have to do with the Pharisees? Why does Jesus bring that up here? Well, the Pharisees were awesome at the rules. They had the, the strict religious practice down to a science. They did the sacrifice perfectly. But what was missing from their lives? Love. Mercy. They looked on tax collectors and sinners and they despised them. But they should have gone after them. They should have pursued them and helped them and prayed for them and pled with them to to turn from their ways. Right? If the Pharisees were really righteous, right, if they were righteous in the way that God defines it, right, if they were loving and merciful, what would they have done? Well, they would have called sinners to repentance. They would have moved towards them and shared a meal with them. They would have done exactly what Jesus did. And so Jesus says to them, look, I didn't come for you. I'm not here to heal people who think they're perfectly healthy. I'm not here for the self-righteous. I'm here for the people who know they need me. And friends, this might be particularly difficult for religious people. Maybe even more so for people who are so religious that they go to church on Christmas Day. You see, there's no becoming a follower of Jesus that, uh, without seeing your sin and repenting of it. At some point, you have to realize that you're so sick with sin that you need a great physician. But it's easy, if you're not careful, to move from that place of putting your trust in Christ to, to slowly, imperceptibly, over time, becoming self-righteous. That is, in some ways, the besetting sin of religious people, Right? You see here how the religious establishment reacts to Jesus. They're puffed up with their own good behavior. They despise anyone who doesn't keep the rules as well as they do, all the while missing out on the point that they weren't nearly as righteous as they thought they were. My friends, the the danger is that because you're not a notorious sinner, because over time, by God's grace, you've become more holy, it's easy to think that you aren't sick. Right? Even if you wouldn't say with your mouth that you're not a sinner, it's easy to begin to act that way. So, brothers and sisters, <coughs> it's, a, it's a good practice. Maybe every Christmas, stop and reflect. Are, are you more or less aware of your need, your <coughs> personal insufficiency, your personal inadequacy? Are you more or less aware of your sinfulness now than you were last Christmas? 
I think it's the experience of growing Christians that even as they grow in grace, they become more aware of their sin. They see their sickness more clearly, and that causes them to love the great physician all the more. So, brothers and sisters, are you critical and judgmental of others? <coughs> Excuse me. Do you tend to be aware of other people's faults and, and how much better you are than they are? Or do you find yourself regularly amazed by the grace of God? Do you find it inconceivable that God would send his son to save someone like you? Does it move you that the son of God would take on flesh and shed his blood for a sinner like you? This is one of the great things we come to do every Sunday when we gather together. This is the, one of the ways we worship God as a congregation and serve each other. We remind one another of our great need. Right? We, we scrape away the barnacles of, <coughs> of self-sufficiency that have built up during the week. We read, we sing, we pray until the, the sort of cold rhyme of self-righteousness has thawed from our hearts. And then we apply the, the fresh balm of God's love for us in Christ. We gather each Sunday to hear God's word and to sing and to pray and to remember and rejoice that we are all Matthew. Right? We are all Zacchaeus. We are all the woman who's been caught in adultery. We're the thief on the cross. We are all sin-sick people healed by the great physician. I think that's how we get the mercy and the love that Jesus mentions there in verse 13 when he quotes Hosea. That's how we, we inoculate our hearts against self-righteousness. That's how we find ourselves captivated by love and mercy rather than the mere performance of religious ritual. We remember the good news that Jesus came not for the good, but for the needy. He's a doctor who didn't come for healthy people, but for the sick. And friends, that's good news because if it were any other way, none of us could be healed. So today, if you have a Christmas meal with people that you love, or whenever you next sit down to a meal with with friends and family, use it as a reminder. Uh, look around you and remember that the good, the good physician came for the sick. He came to have a meal. He came to be friends with, to die for sinners like you and me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you that in your great love you sent the Lord Jesus. Not for people who we're trying to keep all the rules, but for people who knew that they couldn't help themselves. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be aware of our sin and our need, protect us from self-righteousness, give us great love for Christ. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our great doctor who came to die so that we could be healed. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.